0: Good evening. Welcome again to our Good Friday service. It's uh, wonderful to be able to celebrate the uh, wonderful cross. and I hope that it's wonderful to all of us here. If it's not, if that sounds like just a weird combination that a, a cross and implement of death could be a wonderful thing, then hopefully after our time together studying God's Word, um, that will begin to make sense. So our scripture for this evening that we're going to meditate on together a little bit is just one verse, and it's actually copied on the bulletin. If you just flip it over, it's right on the back there. And so I'm just going to read that one verse and then pray briefly, and then we'll dive in to consider it together. So this is um, in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatian church, the church in Galatia. Apostle Paul um, cared for this church and wrote an important letter to them that we have. And this is one very important verse in chapter 2. So Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you demonstrated your love and that while we were still sinners, you sent your Son to die for us. And we thank you for his life and his teachings. And we thank you especially tonight as we gather to celebrate his death, to remember his death, to consider what his death means for us. Um, We thank you that he died for us so that we could live. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for willingly humbling yourself And setting aside all of your divine rights and privileges and willingly becoming a man. And not just a man, but like a servant and a slave. And not just a servant and a slave, but you subjected yourself willingly to the most shameful and painful of deaths. And beyond that, you bore your father's wrath the just judgment for our sin in our place on the cross. And we, we praise you and thank you for that willing sacrifice. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, by your spirit, uh, meet with us now and cause these words to sink in. Help us to understand them. Help us to be uh, confronted with their power and their weight. And I pray that it would change us. So we know that your word is living and active, and I pray that you would allow us to experience that tonight as your spirit takes your word and, and drives it deep down into our hearts. Spirit, be our teacher tonight and um, shine your light into our hearts so I, we can see who we are and how we need to change by your grace. And shine your light on the Lord Jesus and show us his glory so that we will trust in him wholeheartedly. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So where does your sense of identity come from? Have you thought about this question often? Have you ever asked yourself um, the words, who am I? If somebody, I mean people don't, they typically say, what do you do? But if if someone actually asked you that, who are you? How would you answer? So some of us might answer in a lot of different ways depending on the context and the conversation. Sometimes who we are, our identity comes from our upbringing, our family. And maybe that's for good or for ill. So maybe you experienced a family where you belonged and you were secure, you were loved, you knew who you were. You had a sense of identity that was positive. Or maybe it was a bad experience, and you experienced deep rejection, and you felt like you could never measure up, and that has to do with who you think you are, your identity. Identity can come from what we're good at, or what we've failed at, what we're not good at. So, if you're good at sports, sometimes that becomes your identity. That was the case for me growing up. Um, I was hyper-competitive, and... I would get really angry sometimes when I didn't perform very well. And obviously that's a ding to your pride, but it was an issue of identity. I hung too much of who I was on being a decent athlete, and if I failed in my performance, I'm nobody. Who am I? So maybe you experience something like that. It can come from our vocations. We often answer the questions, like I said before, who are you with what we do And so maybe as a result, you're either ashamed of what you do, and you have too much wrapped into that, and you wish it was better, you wish you could kind of say you had a more impressive um, job, or maybe you're proud of what you do, and it is very much your identity. Well, what happens when all that stuff gets stripped away? Do you know who you are anymore? I mean, people go through identity crises all the time, right? So, building your identity on the wrong things can be like building your house on the sand. So, should our sense of identity actually come from something outside of ourselves? Does that mean that other people or, or, or things are governing us and, and ruling us, determining who we are? Ooh, we, we wouldn't like that. We want other people to tell us who we are. Well, actually, <laughs> who we are should be governed by somebody outside of us. And it's that person whose death. We're celebrating tonight, and it's, it's at the heart of the most important moment in all of human history, dealing with the most important person in human history, the Lord Jesus. So his incarnation and life and death and resurrection is the most important moment in human history. But it's not just of historical importance. It's of personal importance for all of us. So all of that, who he was, what he did, we need to personalize that. And we need to continue to personalize it. And that's what our text is all about. um, The one that we're going to meditate on together tonight in Galatians chapter 2. So um, back to Galatians chapter 2. Paul's speaking here very passionately, very personally about the nature of the gospel and its implications for our lives. So let's read it again here and make sure it's fresh on our minds. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does this passage mean for us? What's the cross of Christ mean for us on this Good Friday and any day? Well, we're going to draw out five implications, and there's a little outline there on the back if it helps you follow along. Um, So first, Galatians 2.20 means that if you're a Christian, you are really dead, It's really good news. Really good news. I have been crucified, Paul's saying. So any, of, any person that's really a Christian, they can take these words on their lips. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. That sounds like you're dead, right? What do you do on a cross? You die. I no longer live. So Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. When you became a Christian, if you're a Christian, you died too, And oftentimes we speak of that in terms of the cost of following Jesus. Okay, so for instance, we actually um, sung lyrics along these lines, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was a German theologian who opposed Hitler and consequently died in a concentration camp. He famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So yes, there's a cost to becoming a, a... Becoming a Christian, you're dying to your desire to run your life. You're you're dying to your pride by admitting that you're a man. I'm having trouble. A sinner in need of of saving. You're putting your pride to death by acknowledging that you can't do it yourself. You can't save yourself, right? You're dying to your selfishness, living for yourself. But rarely do we actually speak of the upside of this death this crucifixion that christians undergo to be crucified with christ also means that your criminal sentence has already been rendered and fulfilled okay so here's what i mean the wages of sin is death mark mentioned that romans 3 you're guilty we're all guilty before the judge of all the earth there's no appeal in his court it's a serious situation dire situation He's seen everything that we've done. He knows every thought, every feeling that we've ever had, anything we've done behind closed doors, in the dark. We can't hide from this omniscient judge, and we're guilty and we deserve to die. Wages of sin is death. But if you're a Christian, you've already been arrested for your sin, you've already been indicted, you've already been found guilty, sentenced, and condemned. And you've already been executed. The death penalty's already been carried out if you're a Christian. And we're talking about final death here. Hell has already been paid. Jesus really did all of that for you. So I'm crucified with Christ. It means you died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. Your old life is dead and buried. Your old shame, your old guilt, your old failure. We don't have anything to hide, nothing to fear. It's all been taken into consideration in the courtroom, guilty, and Jesus hung for it. And that includes present or past, present, future sin. Okay? All of it. It's all already been paid for. No, like nobody, nothing's gonna dig up any, no one's gonna dig up anything against you in the future judgment, you know, when Jesus comes back. They're not going to be able to pin anything on you that hasn't already been dealt with at the cross. So who are you? Who am I? Our identity, who we are, shouldn't be defined by our past sins and failures and guilt and shame. So I am not an alcoholic or a cheat or a thief or a liar or whatever, even though many of us are guilty of those things prior to... Becoming a Christian, and we may stumble back into some of those things at times. I am not defined, you know, what if you had an abortion? It doesn't have to be who you are. Jesus can die for that as well. I am not a failure. Maybe you have a failed marriage or a failed parenting or a failed job or whatever, and there's all this stuff you're ashamed of in the past. You don't have to be defined by that. The old I has been crucified with Christ. And therefore the old I no longer lives. It's dead, buried, hell's already been paid. So, listen, this is so important for us and relevant for us today. Can you imagine exhuming a body in order to beat the corpse? Can you imagine digging up a dead body to accuse and try to heap guilt on it? Can you imagine the IRS sending workers to graveyards across the country to demand that some of these people in the ground pay their taxes? Like for this year or something. Well, the last year, you know what I mean. People that have been long dead. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. We all have sinned. We all have regrets and shame. We continue to sin, and we hate it. We have to wrestle with temptation, yes, Our sinful nature for the rest of our lives, yes, but we need not be forever plagued by our failures or defined by them. We need not allow the evil one to wag his finger of accusation and condemnation in our face. You call yourself a Christian? Look at how you failed. What a pathetic, fill in the blank, you are. So the evil one loves to do that. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. Here's the thing. We don't need to do penance for our sins as if the cross wasn't payment enough. It's like digging up the body and beating it. So there's a story um, that I heard about the great church father, Augustine. I don't know if it really happened because if you try to look it up, it's hard to find. So... It could have happened, okay, if you know Augustine's life, Um, and it could also be true for many of us in this room. So before Augustine became a Christian, he was a very promiscuous man, okay? After he became a Christian, he still had struggles with sexual temptation, but he was a new man, okay? So the story goes that one day he's walking through a city, and one of his old mistresses approaches him, and he sees her, and he turns to walk the other way. And she calls out, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. But he turns and says, but it is no longer I. Okay, so if you're a Christian, you're really dead. And that's really good news. Okay, so second point, if you're a Christian, you're really alive. And that also is really good news. Look at it again, top of the page there, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in Me, Oh, that must be a new me, because the old I was dead. And the life I, this must be a new I, the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Okay, so this is a miracle. Okay, if you are a Christian, you have been born again. Adam was warned, and the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And so human beings, we're like cut flowers, cut off from life source spiritually. Jesus came so that we would be made alive with him, born again. So if you're a Christian, you heard the gospel of Jesus and you awakened to it. It didn't sound like foolishness. It sounded like wisdom. It didn't sound like weakness. It sounded like power power to save you and you came alive and you believed it and you repented of your old sinful way of life and you came to jesus so new life was planted in you by the spirit of god so your old self no longer lives but you are now more alive than you ever were christ himself lives in you you were made alive together with christ saved by god's grace okay so you experienced we experienced a spiritual resurrection we'll talk more about that on sunday and this new life that's in us is as unkillable as Jesus is now unkillable because it's his life, Christ who lives in me. Okay? He's alive forevermore. He died. He was raised. It was impossible for death to hold him, and that resurrected Lord lives within you and me. So that life can't be threatened by anyone or anything, can't even be threatened by death, physical death. That's really good news. So listen to it. It's, it's the verse probably most of us are familiar with, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, I live by faith in the son of God, whoever believes in him should not perish, die forever but have eternal life. If you're a Christian, you are really alive. Okay, So this eternal life, it belongs to all who trust in Jesus. When you're born again, you trust in Jesus. And third point, when you're alive with Christ, when you're a Christian, you live by faith in Jesus. See it there? The life I now live in the body in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So, do you live day by day believing the truths of the gospel? Do you, do you live like you're really dead? Or are you doing some uh, gravedigger work and then beaten on the corpse? Do you live like you're really dead? Do you live like you're really alive forevermore? Like this hope that is unshakable, unkillable. It's a living hope. Do you live with the, the needle of your life always seeking the true north? That's Jesus. Do you live with your eyes fixed on our pioneer, the perfecter of our faith? Don't you want to live more like that, to live by faith in the Son of God? If you're a Christian, you will want that. You want to live by faith in Jesus. Okay, so often our issues with identity have to do with, how am I doing? I feel good about myself on my good days. I feel bad about myself on my bad days. How am I doing? Am I okay? Am I good enough? Am I performing well enough? What do I do with my failures? What do I do with my stumblings and my falls? How can I make up for them? Am I okay? What does everyone think of me? Am I good enough? So we are so oftentimes more focused on our performance than on the person and the work of Jesus, his performance, what he has done. So one time on a Friday morning, we have men's Bible study at 6 a.m., sometimes on Um, Friday mornings, and we were talking about the relationship between faith and works, okay, where you could say the root and the fruit in our lives. And Rob, I don't know if he's here tonight, but Rob Alkill was sitting there thinking you could kind of see his wheels turning. Um, And then all of a sudden, he shared this really helpful insight. He said, roots are water-focused, not fruit-focused, Thank you, Rob. Oh oh man, that's really good. So do you see it? The reason roots grow good plants with fruit on them is not that they are fruit-focused or performance-focused, we could say, or results-focused, but because they're water-focused. So if you're a Christian, don't focus on your performance. Don't focus on your fruitfulness your productivity, how well you're loving, how much you've done or given or accomplished. Am I okay? You'll either get depressed because you'll think, man, I wish I was more like that person or could do this better or whatever. Or you'll get puffed up in your pride. Look at how much I've given, how much I've done. If you're a Christian, focus on drinking in more living water. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. If you're a Christian, live by faith in Jesus. So Jesus said in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So do you know why, if you're a Christian, you should always live by faith in Jesus? It's because he loved you. He loved you. So we're going on to the fourth point here. This this all kind of hangs together and it almost comes back full circle again. He loved you like no one else ever loved you. He loved you like no one else ever will love you or could love you. He gave himself up for you. He went through hell for you, like we talked about in that first point. So isn't it sweet how personal This is, I mean, oftentimes in the West here, we're so individualistic that we oftentimes individualize the Bible and and the spiritual life so much where we need to understand more of a community dynamic, which more Eastern cultures oftentimes understand more than us. Well, the Bible was written in more of an Eastern context, and so it's very communal in its orientation. Well, guess what? Here, it's very personal, which should stick out like neon lights. Paul's saying he loved me and gave himself up for me. And I think, you know what, I think that's hard for us to believe sometimes. Especially when we're focused on our performance. And I think that's why the Bible is so precious to us here at Bethel, why it should be so precious to us. Texts just like this, they remind us, they help us believe the truths of the good news about Jesus and make them personal to us to help us believe them because we need to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us, okay? Just like that simple and yet profound children's song. Can we sing it together? So, Jesus Loves Me, just, it's really true, it's this text, okay? So we're going to sing it, ready? Here we go. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus. Come on, kids, help us out. (laughs) Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. It's really, really simple. But it's oftentimes really hard to believe. Which is why we need to be reminded to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us, who loved you, who loved me, and gave Himself up for us. So, reminded that He really loved us, He really loves us, that we're really, really dead. We don't have to add to the punishment. That Jesus took in our place. It's over. The sentence has been fulfilled. And we're really alive. We're alive forever. So that's why we're here tonight. That's why we love Good Friday. <laughs> that's why we're going to join together around the Lord's table now. That's why we participate in the Lord's table on an ongoing basis because we regularly need reminded of how much we need Jesus and how wonderful the cross is and how wonderful his love is. So this table is a rehearsal of these truths that feed our faith. And so as we approach the table to be reminded of these wonderful truths, this amazing grace, we, as we participate in the table, we are ingesting this truth, this grace. We're drinking it in. It's like a visual aid, it's a tactile aid to help us remind to remember and believe how Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. So as we transition to the table, let me just say that this is a family meal, uh, a spiritual family meal. It's for the family of faith. Okay? It's for those for whom Galatians 2.20 is true of them. So if you can say, if you're a Christian, if you can say, I, by God's grace, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're a Christian, then join us at the table and let's remember and celebrate this wonderful cross, this wonderful love that he gave himself for us. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not trusting Jesus like that yet, maybe you still have questions. We're so glad that you're here. Just let the elements pass. But more than that, can I I encourage you to meditate on this passage that we've just considered? Because it actually has one more really important word for you. If you're not a Christian, this passage and others like it say very clearly, come and die to live, okay? When Jesus was on earth, he said this. He called the crowds to him, and he said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That sounds like a lot of loss. That sounds scary. But then he said, because whoever would save his life. If you want to try to save your life in this life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. So in other words, I don't want you to die forever. I want you to really live. So die, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So come and die to, to really live. Jesus is inviting you, offering you real and eternal life tonight. So he died to provide it for everyone who would trust in him. Does that sound like good news to you? If you're not a Christian, when you came in the door and if that doesn't, like you weren't quite sure what this is all about and you hear that and if that sounds like good news to you, then take time while we're participating in the Lord's table to talk to Jesus, to confess your sins, to turn from that old way of life, to ask him to make you new. And just like Augustine you came in as one person, and you could leave here as a completely new person. You can enter the path of life by dying to all that's been killing you and trusting in Jesus and following him. And then for, for those of us who are Christians, again, who am I? This identity question, I'm dead. The old me, I'm so glad I'm really dead. I'm so glad it's, the debt is totally paid for. I'm alive forevermore. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus loved me. He gave himself for me. I am his. I'm a Christian. That should be the most secure identity in the universe because he's never going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will not forsake us. He was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. So, Let's eat together, let's drink together and thank him for who we are because of his grace, because we know whose we are. Let's pray. And if the men who are going to serve could come forward. Oh God, this gospel is such good news. I pray that you would help us to see how great your love is for us guilty sinners and that we would come to this table and drink it in, that we would ingest it, that we would come and feast on your love and grace to us in Christ and celebrate this wonderful cross. And Lord, for any who are here that are not trusting in Jesus. I pray that as they think about it and ponder and look at Galatians 2.20 and think about what Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I pray that that would click, that it would make sense and that you would make them new on the spot and give them grace to trust in Jesus so that they can be crucified with Christ, Um, the old them, no longer alive, but the life that they now live, they would live by faith in the Son of God who loved them and gave himself for them. Lord, make that true for them tonight. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.